Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up-and-coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members to get your first month free. What is going on, Ready Eddie Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the co-founders of Ombra Sunglasses, Nikolai and Jensen. Thanks, guys, so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. All right, so for the listener that is not aware of Ombra Sunglasses, how would you best describe uh, your brand to them? Oh, man. Um, I guess, well, Ombra's... What we do is we're kind of the first pair of armless sunglasses that have ever been on, out on the market before. So what we did was we basically eliminated sidearms and replaced that with like a, a built-in comfy adjustable cord that just wraps around the back of your head. And it keeps the sunglasses in place. It eliminates like, you know, the headaches and sidearm pressure that you get when you wear sunglasses for a long time and also allows you to stow the sunglasses anywhere. You can throw them in a pocket or a backpack without having to worry about them breaking. I love that idea. So how, how did you guys come up with this um, and then decide to start a company around it? Um, I, I, we'd, you know, I've worn, worn sunglasses my whole life, and I was actually in India at the time, and I bought, bought a pair of sunglasses, and two days later someone sat on them, and sure enough the sidearms broke right off, which had happened to me countless times before. <laughs> happens to and me so, too. Yeah, exactly. And so I just... I tied a piece of twine around the broken hinges and wore them like that for the whole the, the whole trip and and the twine like it worked so well I was you know running around jumping off stuff I could throw them in my pocket when I didn't want them in my backpack and so I replaced that twine with a leather cord and I wore that same pair of sunglasses for five years and you're talking to a guy who loses his wallet once every like week so for me to be able to hold on to something like that for that long meant that. Either I'd build something special and, you know, solve some problems that, that I'd had before. And so Nikolai and I went to school together. Uh, we went to college together. And Nikolai had, you know, after I came back from that trip, Nikolai saw me wearing these. And we both had had the same size heads. And they weren't adjustable at the time. But he could throw them on. And he had experienced them and was just in love with them. And he was one of my only friends who could wear them. I had also, you know, we went to school in, in uh, Southern California. So every day was a sunny day. Um, so sunglasses were like a regular part of everyone's attire and sunglasses had always frustrated me throughout my whole life. So, um, you know, in particular, the, the kind of the tenderness you get above the ears after you wear them for like longer than an hour. Um, that was my biggest pain point that and losing them. So, um, with these, like it was, I was really amazed at, at how comfortable they were. 
Um, I could wear them for hours. I tried to steal them a couple of times from Jensen <laughs> and uh, unsuccessfully. Um, and yeah, it was. Uh, I was really impressed by that. And and um, it was to the point where people would come up on the street. I didn't even know how they noticed there was anything different, but they'd be like, "Who makes those? Like, where'd you get those?" And it was, you know, like the twentieth person, twentieth time that it happened. That I was like, "All right, there's something here. This is this, there's a demand for this product." Well, that's interesting. Now, did did you both kind of have an idea that at some point maybe you'd want to start a business of some kind, or was it really just like, okay, here's these, this product that I made for myself, and then just it kind of just happened over time naturally? Um, I actually always knew I wanted to start a business and a product and launch a product and launch a product that had like a carbon negative aspect to it where, you know, through purchasing this product, we actually gave more back to the environment and took away more carbon out of the environment than was used to produce and deliver this pair. So I don't know, for me, I kind of knew from the get go what I wanted to do, which I think really helped propel this. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was also always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't want to work for someone else. Um, you know, I, I didn't quite have the same uh, passion about the environment, which which developed as as I moved out um, and started spending more time outside. But I always kind of knew that that I wanted to start my own thing, and um, and yeah. So even in college and high school, I was doing different entrepreneurial projects, and um, so kind of. And that, I think it's that certain personality type that it takes that Nicola and I both have. Um, that we just love kind of the day-to-day change and the, uh, you know, you're just always solving a new problem. There's never that, like, it's never, never the same task twice, um, that we just love. And that makes it so much fun for us. And there's like certain risks involved in entrepreneurship. And, you know, as long as there are calculated risks there, there, it makes it kind of a little bit more fun, you know? And I think Jensen and I are both, both individuals who, um, aren't too risk averse, we, we kind of enjoy that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we welcome it. Yeah, we kind of we welcome embrace it. it. <laughs> Living on the edge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell me a little bit about your backgrounds. Like, obviously, the sunglasses that you guys make um, make a lot of sense for someone who's, like, somewhat out, active, outdoorsy, moving around a lot, right, where it's just, like, you're not going to lose the sunglasses um, in whatever sort of activity that you're doing. And then, obviously, there's the comfort aspect to it, right? So, um you know, where do you, what, where do you guys kind of really come from? And, um, you know, tell us a little bit more about you as individuals. Um, we both love to travel. He, like, it's like our favorite thing in the world. Um, both love to be outside on a sunny day. We work, we actually work, uh, on my grandma's farm just outside of Seattle. Um, that's where our office is and in her barn, um, <laughs> We outfitted the upstairs of her barn to be our office, and like on a sunny day, we're outside on the computer, sitting on the picnic table. We got a zip line out of our out of our top window. Yeah, and we love to backpack, you know. So we just, yeah, we like to get after it. We don't like being. I I I never watched TV growing up, and I Nikolai is the same way. Um, We just, yeah, we don't like to be, you know, sitting down, not doing anything. We like to get after it. Yeah, I think I think really the, the traveling is really um, yeah something we both share in common. We you know that's a that's a a situation where a lot of people have had issues with their with their sunglasses and with with just like needing things that are practical, simple, 
um, solve problems and are utilitarian, you know, and, and also look good. Um, so this kind of like really embodies you know, embodies all of that and keeps us really passionate because it, it, it you know, it's something that Jensen and I are like, you know, we sleep in these sometimes. Like when we go backpacking, it's like we, we're 24-7 using, these, using this product. We just had a, a customer who was just in Peru for two, uh, like a month and a half. And he said he spent about $5,000 on gear um, for the trip. And his pair of Ombras were his top favorite thing that he had for the entire trip. And I think that just, you know, speaks volumes to what we're trying to, to attain and what we're trying to build and, and, and provide for people. Definitely. I think that's a pretty good uh, validation from your customer and probably makes yeah. you pretty good about it. Yeah, it does. It's so awesome to hear from people that uh, that wear these. And now, you know, that, that, that we're getting out there, it's fun to run into people wearing these. We've, we've run into people in the backcountry wearing a pair. You know, Nikolai was just in Amsterdam. Yeah, and it's, yeah, <laughs> and it was just in Amsterdam and just like... On the street, there was it's it's a little celebration called King's Day. It's a celebration of the king of the Dutch king's birthday, and uh, it's a national holiday. So like a, a lot of Dutch people from all over the place, all over the country, come to Amsterdam, um, and there's just like a big party in the streets. And so we were just walking around the city, and I turn a corner, and boom, there's a guy wearing ombras, and I was like, "How? Who the heck are you, man? Like, <laughs> How do you? Yeah, this is great." So it's stuff like that starting to happen, um, and yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of working together, also like Jensen and I have just been a really good team. And I think like we both have pretty diverse backgrounds in terms of like our skill sets, um, and those they kind of they complement each other, and so we we work well together and play into our strengths and weaknesses, play off our strengths and weaknesses. And, um, you know, my background professionally, like after college, um, I went to, I went into finance and worked, uh, worked in, in banking for, for a couple of years. And then I went into Amazon and, uh, worked as a, um, as a buyer in the toys category. And that just kind of got me really familiar with the, with the e-commerce space, um, helped a lot in starting you know a, a largely e-commerce company um and then jensen was a designer and a product manager and a project manager so um just like that whole creative side and and jensen's just like a really talented marketer in general um he's just like very keen a keen sense of style and design and um that that really helps in, in today's digital world oh definitely so, okay, so the official launch is in 2018 for Umbras, and you launched with an Indiegogo campaign um, and raised over $160,000 just from that, and then you did another 40000 on the website in pre-sales. What was sort of your process in really um, getting the word out there, and um, what really helped you launch with such a successful um, campaign right off the bat? That's a great question. I think a lot of it was like rallying the troops and community support. Yeah, you know? getting friends and family behind it. I know that, you know, we we took pictures of friends and and family members wearing these so they could post it on their social media for like a year up until that point. So everyone had their own, you know, individual picture of them wearing these so they could like, you know, it was relatable to them. 
a big thing for us was our video. Uh, if you haven't watched it, take three minutes and go check out our Indiegogo crowdfunding video because it was it was such a blast we had so much fun making it and writing it and filming it and editing it and producing it with our our film team um and i think that you know the local like base that we knew was was great but then when people random people that visit indiegogo and through just hearing about us watch that video it it validated a lot of what we were doing just because it was so fun to watch and so engaging and entertaining yeah and all our friends were like sharing it, you know, talking about it all the time. So we also threw a big launch party where we just like invited the town uh, just to kind of help get the word out. Um, we offered, uh, we actually offered, if you bought a pair of Ombras, if you pre-ordered at the party, we gave you a drink ticket. So that was a, that was a big hit. We probably sold the like, beer. The, the bar ran out of beer. Yeah, the bar <laughs> ran out of beer. <laughs> uh, um, and then the other thing was PR. just PR. Is huge. We did all of our own PR. So, like, going into the campaign, we knew we needed to we needed some validation from some trusted sources, and so, you know, we didn't know how to go about doing PR. PR so. sound is so daunting. When you hear that, you're just like, what does that even mean? Like, how do I get a hold of Backpacker Magazine and Outside Magazine and Gear Patrol? Like, what do I like? What the heck? There's no number I can call. Like, what do you do? And so we just we ended up just kind of smiling and dialing and sending emails out and being persistent and tenacious and and tracking down the right emails which was huge for us you know getting that right contact person whether that was through some tenacious linkedin sometimes we'd guess them yeah we'd guessed emails oh, i've done like, that <laughs> I guess, yeah we, we were literally like sherlock holmes trying to figure out who to get a hold of um <laughs> but trying all really the different helped. combinations first name last initial or all exactly. that stuff Exactly. And then we'd send out pairs like and we would we sent out like handmade notes or handwritten notes with a handmade pair of ombras that we would explain like how these what was what happened, what went into the process. And these were prototypes we were initially sending out to the It would take us it would take us forty minutes to make yeah, a pair. Yeah, forty minutes to make a pair and we would, you know, be baking the cord with this cedar beeswax in the oven and then hand stitching it to the frame and then dremeling out this mahogany bead and, and placing the this like knot of the beat of the cord into the beat and then countersinking it with resin so we'd kind of say that in the note like how much time and and love had gone to this air that was going to this publication and i think that really resonated with people and they really appreciated that and we're like if these guys are going to take this much care with with the prototype for me like i know that they're going to do a good job with this product in the long run i love that i mean obviously just being able to to do something like that and make it unique goes such a such a long distance, and I'm I'm sure you did all of this, but well before you launched the actual Indiegogo campaign, so that you had sort of that um, stockpile of exposure once it was live, right? You know, the craziest thing is I don't think we had a single article about us written two weeks leading up to the campaign. We were like completely in yeah, the dark. Yeah, we about were. We started super late. We were like, we need it. We need this like in the press piece. Like we need some validation, and there was nothing. And then two weeks before, like a, it was literally like a week before our campaign dropped. Like articles started. Articles dropping. started dropping like six it's big time articles, and like and they were dropping them like the day of our release, the day after our our launch, and so that was just huge, and it helped, you know, us build that momentum that really took the campaign to the next level. I'm sure you guys were sweating bullets before those articles coming out. That's the thing, though. A lot of the time it's just kind of, you know, hard work 
and tenacity just coming together at the right time a little bit of luck but it's just mostly just you know you gotta you gotta fake it till you make it and and you know keep grinding keep making those touchbacks keep sending emails and then it it, you know things you just get lucky and it comes together yeah you, you like set yourself you do all the groundwork and then and then sometimes you get really lucky and like you do all the groundwork to the point where you know it's something good is going to happen but then sometimes you get lucky and something great happens yeah i mean it's everyone those there's people that say that like luck is really just hard work meeting good timing <laughs> amen you know yeah, for sure and like that's really all all it is which makes so much sense and like obviously having a good product it takes it to the next level right because you could have done all of the work that you guys did and if the product wasn't there then no one would have wrote about it right exactly it's kind of that it takes all of those to enter into the equation to really get the 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 solution you're looking for and that that is the huge that is the big part the reason why we've had the most success is not it's i mean it's the hard work it's it's everything else but it really comes down to the product the quality of the product the problem it solves and the problem that so many people can relate to the problem it solves it's not just this one-off thing that a couple people have. Everyone wears sunglasses, and everyone has experienced their sunglasses falling off or breaking at some point in their life. For sure. Now, let's talk about the prototyping process, because before this, it sounds like you guys didn't have a ton of experience manufacturing and making goods like this, especially on the scale um, that you had to for this launch. What was that process like and really kind of fine-tuning it to the point (laughs) where you were really proud of uh, the sunglasses that you were producing? Man. Luck and good timing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, um, a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. A lot of luck. A lot of good timing. Um, we actually, so I, we met this uh, this guy, this man who owned this little eyewear boutique in Seattle called Eyes on Fremont. And they do an awesome job. They make some really high end like uh, prescription eyewear, and he designs his own sunglasses as well. And I just went in and you need new got, lenses. Yeah, right? I needed new lenses for my for my like pair that I made in India and um I had taken the cord off of them and I was like hey man I need new lenses for these and he's like why would you need lenses for this broken pair of sunglasses like what's going on and I I didn't want to tell him because I at that that point I was scared of someone in the industry taking my idea (laughs) and um I got to talking with him and and uh he ended up being a super awesome guy and was like you know what I think this is awesome I'm going to take you downstairs and let's talk. And so we started talking. He introduced us to his supplier who he works with in Asia, who he's been, he'd been working with for 10 years to make our frames and start prototyping. And so that connection, you know, without that, we would have been shooting in the dark. And that really helped just, it was, it was just basically our biggest component. Then we had dialed in, which was the frames and the lenses. We just got lucky. We landed a partnership with Zeiss. Um, because the the rep was our age and just loved what we were doing, loved that nothing else was out there like that. And Zeiss, you know, they don't work with small companies ever. And so people are always like, how the hell did you guys work with Zeiss? And and it also adds a little validation to the product as well when, you know, Zeiss is backing like a brand new concept in the eyewear industry. And then for the rest of our components, we, we just hit the road and went to some trade shows. Uh, we knew we needed a cord. We needed we needed beads um we were able to meet some really interesting people through other local connections um who were able to source some of our components and then like 
seven months before we launched the Indiegogo campaign, we actually went out to China and visited all of these suppliers and um, were able to see where, where stuff was made because that was super important for us to actually understand and see like where this product was, where all these components were coming from and the fact that they were, they were quality. We weren't using any kind of, uh, any kind of, um, you know, questionable labor practices kind of like chemical intensive products yeah another thing was just we just wanted to you know fabricate some good relationships with our suppliers because they were investing in us and we were so small and and we wanted to show them that we were serious we you know we were not just taking them for a ride we also wanted to have these you know just a good relationship set up with them to build upon going forward yeah because that's like that's the, one of the biggest things there. You can launch whatever, but if you can't, if you can't deliver, if you can't actually, if you can't trust your made, suppliers, you know you're going to have a lot of trouble down the road. Oh, definitely. In a manufacturing business, it's so important that you get that piece right. I've talked to so many people who've run Kickstarter, or Indiegogo campaigns, and they did like a couple hundred thousand dollars in sales, and then everything went haywire with their manufacturing process. And it's just like a disaster trying to rebuild from that. For sure. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, like, so we finished this campaign. We had all of our components nearly finished. And we spent about, you know, we spent most of the summer um, just finalizing different components, getting everything ordered, and then, um, and then figuring out, like, where we were going to actually assemble all these components so we started uh we decided to do it here in-house in washington because we didn't really have like a good process for assembly ironed out yet um we kind of knew how things were going to come together but on a mass scale it was completely different you know when you're you kind of have to do an assembly line and take it one step at a time do you know finish one process before you move on to the next and you also needed people and we knew that uh trying to go to china and, and figure all this out uh kind of before we had experience doing it um would result in in some potential you know some potential problems so uh we ended up shipping all of our components here to the u.s and we embarked on a two and a half to three month journey of assembling these by hand which ended up being a potential problem <laughs> which, which ended up being oh my god, oh my god. it almost broke it us. was a nightmare <laughs> go it on was the worst two months of our lives <laughs> we literally we literally spent every single day from like 8 a.m or se like 7 a.m until like midnight or 2 a.m sometimes like he in here with our either by ourselves or, or with, with some friends. friends or with family. Jensen's grandmother was here, like, <laughs> helping us sometimes. <laughs> it felt like, you know, happy that, that scene in Happy Gilmore when, like, when uh, they're making, like, the quilts in the retirement home? Right, 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 right. It was kind of like <laughs> that. It was pretty funny. <laughs> oh, man. It was a huge learning curve. And, like, the biggest thing for us was, like, our stitch, like, our attachment point, um, which we were kind of – we want it to be like an artisan hand look feel because that's how, it, you know, the 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 prototype started. They were all handmade and we like that kind of handmade aspect to it. And so getting that the stitch down to look good, be strong and be scalable took months. And and so that was kind of why why we did it here, because we had our, our stitch specialist who's in California could fly up and work with us and tweak stuff with us. And our, our specialist worked with like 
you know, the big time brands like Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton, Lululemon, like Filson. So we knew we were in the right hands. It was just a matter of getting this thing dialed in. And mm-hmm. so now after that, we got it dialed in while we were doing that here, which ended up being pretty pivotal and, and important yeah. moving forward. I mean, like no one had ever, has ever like stitched done this kind of stitch before so it was really uncharted territory that that like boggled our minds as well as our our um stitching specialist and he he came up here and we worked for like 14 hours straight just like trying out different tweaks and adjustments in in the process and we finally got something that that looked good and worked really well and wasn't coming undone um and yeah it was it was it was, it's really crazy thinking back at it. At it, it's like brings back some PTSD. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> rough to think about. Like, let's move on. <laughs> so, how many pairs did you guys make in that time period? Like three thousand. Only three thousand. <laughs> yeah, only three thousand. This, this is a it was a thirty six step process. So we did, you know. One step, three thousand times, and, and in most cases, six thousand times. times because yeah. you know there's two sides to a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so exactly. one pair is two cords, two beads, two you know, two everything. So, so yeah, it was some. It was all. You know, it came up being like a fifty-five step process that we did like sixty. Yeah. Yeah, it was like hundred and fifty thousand yeah. steps. <laughs> yeah. Basically, like if you if you like, oh, all the steps times three thousand, it's like ridiculous. Sounds like a fun so, time. <laughs> it was a fun time, but we delivered, and, and we really came out and, and delivered a super quality product that, that impressed all of our backers, and they were incredibly patient, to what, for which we're very grateful. Um, and, yeah, I think it, it really the way it really paid off um, when you look at the product we delivered, and it was made in the U.S. by, by Jensen by and founders. myself. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so... After the Kickstarter campaign and the pre-sales, um, what's growth been like since then, and how did you really get the word out there to continue the growth? Yeah, so we um, we delivered in late November, and so right like heading into like the, the peak of the holiday season, and so that's a, a great time for shopping anyway. Um, so we had some extra inventory left over from, uh, our Kickstarter from our Indiegogo campaign. And, uh, we had some buzz built up. We had been, you know, taking like email signups and stuff since we ended our campaign. And, um, and we also had, yeah, we had some good, like little ads that we'd made and stuff that were left over from the campaign. So we just ran ads, uh, on Instagram and Facebook through the holidays and sales were good. And then, and then January, in January, yeah, January was low. <laughs> January was is just like a crazy, it's rough you know. Retail. Everyone just spent all their money on on gifts and vacations and plane tickets back home uh, in December. So no one's no one spends money in January. However, Backpacker Magazine reached out to us in January um, and told us they would they had selected Ombras as their um, 2019 Gear Editor's Choice Award which is one of the most like coveted awards in the outdoor industry. And we were kind of blown away by that. And they didn't even realize we were, you know, six months old at that point. They thought we were like a pretty old, like an old, older company. And so, um, cause we'd sent them a prototype way back in the day that they had just been wearing and using with all their gear editors. 
and they loved them. It was crazy because we sent these out and, and they we didn't hear anything back from them back until like, yeah. it was for, like for like it was three like eight, four months. No, it was longer. I think. I think they reached out in September. So we sent these these prototypes to them like in February. Or last something. February. Yeah, last February. Like and then 2018. Heard nothing back until like September, and in September, yeah. So like six months later, they they yeah. contacted us and they're like, hey guys, like. Hope everything's going well. Just wanted to let you know we've been using your sunglasses all the time. The whole team loves them, and you know, ha- you know, stay tuned for more. Got That's good awesome. news coming your way. <laughs> yeah, so that dropped in um, in March, March, early, early March, March, and that just kind of blew stuff up for us. REI reached out to us after that, and they wanted to bring us into stores, uh, retailers all over the country. Just started reaching out to us and our website our sales started doing yeah, really well. started doing very well. And so that's, it's been it's just, it's been a really fun spring. We've been having a blast. We've been having a blast and just like a lot of stuff, you know, when you blow up, it's when things are going well like this, especially early on, it always goes from, you know, pure excitement and bliss and like, like, gratitude for the revenue coming in but also like an oh crap like <laughs> panic <laughs> are we gonna have enough inventory yeah, how we need to do some more runs like what if rei you know wants to expand us into the whole west coast through their whole you know national stores like that it's just like a lot of decisions a lot of things you have to do and managing inventory then gets to be the trickiest part of the entire puzzle right because i'm sure it takes a, a, a period of time for you to get new inventory and if you guess wrong you're kind of sitting on your hands for a little while waiting for that new shipment to show up exactly and then you're you know you're stifling growth all that buzz that's all that's that generated all that momentum. demand you know people's attention span nowadays is pretty pretty short that's so for sure when they're thinking about something it better be accessible to them or yeah you, you go risk and buy it them or, back. or if it's not in stock then they're on to the next thing so it's it's crazy and you know there's there's no data to go off of no projections really for us to, to from previous years to manage our inventory so it's all kind of just gut feelings and we have a lot of mentors and people that that help us out with that and i think that's been a huge reason for our success is just our, our support base and the mentors that we use and have and and just offer their advice and expertise because you know we don't know what we're doing but we can take this insight from people who've been around the block for years and 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 have the wisdom and and the the wherewithal to want to bestow that upon us and we just have to pick and choose like the right things and and go with it and it's 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 we're just so grateful that we've had the people that we have to work with and and help just help us steer the ship with us that's really awesome and up to this point like you guys are still pretty young but i feel like you have um grown to the point where it's almost like you've experienced what a company that's been around for three years has experienced or plus three plus years right in the um short time that you guys have been on the market so i want to ask what would you say have been some of the biggest mistakes that you've made since the inception well um i think in general jensen and i are both very optimistic so we've been uh we've learned that optimism can sometimes um result in a lot of pain uh, in terms of manufacturing and, and with, with hitting those kinds of timelines. So, um, you know, we, we learned early on that whatever your, whatever timeline you think you're going to hit your suppliers give you with your suppliers and with, with that operational side, add 50% minimum to that timeline. And, and that's, you know, that, that's more like it. So, 
Um, set, early on, setting aggressive timelines, I think it really complicated our lives with, yeah, in terms it, of communication with it customers. It causes that stress you don't need if you just, like, oh, yeah. you know. Yes. You're setting these t- deadlines, for these self-imposed deadlines. That and we kept updating people during our campaign and being like, okay, like, we're a little bit behind schedule. It should be next month. Or, like, we give these, like, you know, three weeks will be done. And then three weeks to come around and be like, oh, crap, like, it's going to be another three weeks. weeks. And then, oh, it's going to be another three weeks. So I think just being realistic there, too, you know, once we realize we're going to hit our deadline, being like, okay, we just need to push out three months instead of three weeks. And yeah, then and if take we go that, early, then Yeah, if we go in early, it's fine. People are going to be happy. But people, the most frustrated people get is when you keep pushing things back time and time again. And that was, that for those early crowdfunded pairs that was that it was a super stressful time because we just kept pushing it back in small increments um another mistake i think is just you know keeping your SKUs simplified and making it easy on yourself in the first year because managing different SKUs and and different colorways and everything can be become a real nightmare when you don't have that uh that that background and knowledge base so i think just keep simplifying that makes life easier and, and you can always introduce new colors and new styles and stuff but just starting starting simple just makes it a lot more easy to manage yeah we ended up adding uh actually one of our best-selling SKUs in the middle of our indiegogo campaign just as kind of like a bonus perk and uh, it was actually the charcoal color which like i said has, has become one of our best sellers but that created a whole like you know, it basically doubled the stress because, or raised it by at least one third because now we had to choose the right color and make sure that, you know, there was just another, you know, six SKUs that we had to deal with just right there. Um, and that definitely complicated things. Um, another thing, sizing, you know, so early on we, um, we, we knew we wanted to have smaller we knew we wanted to have different sizes for different heads different head sizes and shapes and Jensen and I have small heads so a lot of sunglasses dense brains have traditionally yeah very dense <laughs> brains but traditionally a lot of like a lot of sunglasses just wouldn't fit us that well uh, they were too big so we wanted to make a, a frame that, that fit all the all the skinny face you know, pinheads like us. <laughs> and, um, it ended up being too small. It ended up being a little too small. And we ended up, you know, I'd say not doing enough testing, just going out to the park and like putting these on like random people just to get an idea of like what percentage of people we're going to need the larger frame and what percentage is going to need, we're going to need the, uh, the smaller frame. And we ended up naming our smaller frame, the regular size and our, larger frame the wide size what we learned after we delivered and and actually a few months before we delivered was that the you know the the wide size was actually much more regular size it fit a lot more people and and the the narrow size was was, the regular size was narrow definitely very small and it fits some people but um, the way we communicated it was just uh, caused a lot of confusion and ended up causing us a lot of pain. And I'd say the other, like, I think the biggest mistake anyone can make is not having a mentor-based group, like I said, and just not trying to do everything. Trying yourself. to do everything yourself, like 
use the insight of other people, use the mistakes of other people, pick their brains, set up meetings, like go, like go find people that have created success and done this before, because you're not the, you're not the first one to do it and trying to steer the ship yourself and do it all yourself isn't, isn't the best solution. I think that's great advice and a really great point. Um, now, I, I want to talk about what's in store for the future for uh, Umbras now. Um, what do you guys see coming down um, you know, in the next year, two years, three years down the road? Uh, I think big thing for us is just managing these, our big accounts um, with REI. You know, we're trying to get another style dialed in. And, and released at least two more styles because our, our style we have now is it's great but it doesn't it doesn't appease everybody and we want to just open up the market and get get more people to adapt to this to this kind of armless design and I think that'll be easier once we have a few more looks um, big thing for us I mean we haven't really talked about it but we plant 20 trees for every pair that we sell and so uh, Ombras are 330 times carbon negative, meaning for every pair we sell, we're sequestering 330 times the carbon that it takes to produce and deliver them. And we really like measure success by how many trees we planted. So we planted 70, just about 70,000 trees in the past, uh, you know, eight months. And that's, that's huge for us. We want to keep having that impact, uh, and our, our customers really appreciate that as well. You know, like you'll see, you'll see products where one or two trees are planted for something, but rarely is it something, you know, extremely aggressive, like 20 trees. And that, that impact is huge and it makes us feel good about what we're doing. It gives kind of more passion and purpose to what we're doing. We, uh, I'd, I'd say if for anyone thinking about starting a company or, or getting into deliver, like building a product, Read uh, "Let My People Go Surfing" by Yvonne Chouinard, and he's the founder of Patagonia, and it's great kind book. of it's a great book. And we use it as kind of our our Bible and and our north star. We like have our suppliers and interns yeah. uh, read it. Like pretty much anyone anyone we work, we work with, with, we have read it just so they understand, you know, where w- what's our prerogative and and where we envision taking this company and how we how w- what you know what dreams we have for what we want to become and, and we what really matters want to us. what matters to us and what, what's important as we grow. No, I think that's a really strong point. And, um, it, it's something that's really important, especially when you're building a business and it makes you work harder. Like as founders of something like this, that you see you're building something that's bigger than just making money. Right. It's kind of like, uh, a mission, a, uh, philosophy and, you know, all of that together, mixed with a quality product that improves people's lives makes it worth all the stress that you're putting in and time, right? Those couple of months making all those sunglasses is worth it when you know you're working on something bigger. Totally. And and the other thing with the trees is like it was like a we wanted whatever we did to be tangible. You know, we wanted someone like I we'd always had a somewhat of a hard time like like we're we're very like hands-on people, right? So when you think about 20 trees, you can actually you understand what that is. You understand what 20 trees looks like. Anyone can look outside and 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 like really see that impact. Um, whereas, and we wanted it to be tangible like that for people, so that it was a physical thing happening where 
you know, nothing was getting lost in administrative costs. We said we plant 20, we plant 20, there's no deviation there. And we're, you know, that's the impact we make. Yeah, I know. I love that. I think that's, that's really key and really important. Now, um, I want to mention for anyone listening to this episode before May 28th, you can actually enter to win a pair of sunglasses from Umbra's Unready Yeti. So you can head over um, for your chance to win. And with that, guys, I really want to thank Thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast, share your story, share the story of Umbras, and I'm really excited to see what you guys do in the future. Hey, thank you so much. We're excited too. Yeah, thanks, Josh. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Yeti Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.